Can a sitting president be indicted? Yeah. Meaning, uh, can a sitting president be charged with a crime? A, a court's never addressed this question centrally, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So the Office of Legal Counsel did. And they said that the Constitution implicitly grants a sitting president immunity from criminal prosecution. So can Robert Mueller prosecute Donald Trump directly? Maybe not. Welcome to Harry and the Kipper, a podcast covering current events. We're both attorneys, so we're going to cover some of the relevant legal issues that are affecting our politics, which I think will be particularly useful during this administration's reign. And we're affiliated with my organization called The Resurgent Left. We are focused on a 50-state strategy nowadays. We made a bit of a pivot, and we're looking at red, blue, and purple states at all levels of government, and we're looking to eliminate all safe seats for Republicans. We're also simultaneously looking to flip state legislatures blue, so check us out at theresurgentleft.org. But I say affiliated because this podcast reflects our personal views, not any positions of the organization. Politics moves so quickly nowadays that it's difficult to even write a podcast and be up to date by the time we publish. So please forgive us if there's some updates by the time you hear this. Today's episode is about the office of the special prosecutor, the limitations on that office, the problems associated with that office, and its place in history. So Kip, if you want to kick us off with the historical context for the uh, appointment of Mr. Mueller. Yeah, so this has happened 10 to 11 times in U.S. history that the Department of Justice has called for a special prosecutor. And we don't need to go into all of the stories, but really the important story came, it's called the Saturday Night Massacre, and it has to do with the Nixon presidency that ultimately led to the downfall of Nixon. So that's the Watergate scandal of the 1970s. And Archibald Cox was appointed to lead an investigation into what happened at Watergate. Watergate was a major political scandal. There was a break-in at the Democratic National Committee's headquarters, and Congress looked into it and discovered that Nixon's administration may have had something to do with it. And Nixon didn't like that Archibald Cox was trying to subpoena the White House tapes where Nixon was talking about uh, what happened at Watergate on tape. So he wanted to fire Cox, and he ordered the attorney general to fire him. Attorney general, that was Elliot Richardson. He refused, and he resigned. Then he demanded that the deputy attorney general fire him. He resigned as well and refused. Then Nixon demanded that the next person in line, Robert Bork, who you may have heard of, fire him, and Robert Bork did fire uh, the special prosecutor. And that was a big, big deal then. So that's the biggest special prosecutor case in uh, in U.S. history, the most paramount and important one. It's the most well-known one, I think, today. Yeah. What's interesting is that Nixon never wrote the letter himself. And that's one of the things we want to talk about today is who gets to fire the special prosecutor? Where do the special prosecutor's powers come from? What can the special prosecutor do? What limitations are placed on the special prosecutor? And who is the special prosecutor accountable to as well? So in the wake of the uh, the firing of the special prosecutor by President Nixon, or by Robert Bork, given the pressure by President Nixon, Congress passed a law. So, so that law was the Ethics in Government Act. Right. 1973, the Ethics in Government Act, passed in the wake of the Watergate scandal, mm-hmm. is the law that empowered this independent special prosecutor. 
What was that law about? So basically it allowed for independent counsel, and independent counsel had broad power to investigate wrongdoing by public officials and complete independence from uh, the executive branch. So there were federal judges that actually oversaw what the special prosecutor independent counsel was doing. And they would decide whether it was right or wrong and uh, make any decisions holding the special prosecutor accountable. But there was, it was complete immunity from the executive branch, which seemed like a good thing at the time. But as both parties feared and as it turned out, it became sort of a political tool that both parties used against each other where they'd threaten, like, we're going to throw the special prosecutor at you. And both parties became afraid of that. Republicans wanted to hit the Democrats back for what they did to Nixon. And it became this potential tool to, to cause fear uh, in the hearts of the other party. So 25 years later, when the, the law was set to expire, Congress decided not to renew it. And this was 1999. So where does the current special prosecutor come from? If that law is no longer in effect, where does the authority come for Bob Mueller? So what happened was Janet Reno was the attorney general at the time when the law lapsed. And she saw that we still need some sort of means to create a special prosecutor in case the, the issue comes up again. And so she had regulations promulgated that allow for, under certain circumstances, the Department of Justice to appoint a special prosecutor. Bob Mueller, while he's more independent than Comey was as director of the FBI, yeah. it's still subject to some degree of control by the Department of Justice. And we can go, in, we yeah. can go into that a little bit. Uh, well, basically, so um, he has to obey the quote-unquote rules, regulations, procedures, practices, and policies of the Department of Justice. What that means and who gets to interpret it right. is interesting. I mean, concessions come in and say, look, I recused myself from the Russia probe in general, but I'm still allowed to weigh in on ethics issues. And I'm noticing somebody in our department isn't following certain rules that we have in this department. So, so Attorney General Jeff Sessions, because of some issues he had during the campaign, there were allegations that his, his testimony before Congress in his confirmation hearings was misleading and omitted material information. So in the wake of that, he recused himself from the, the entire Russian investigation. Trump was not happy about it, by the way. Right. The president was, was not, not happy really, about yeah, that. Yeah. So he recused himself. So that's why uh, Attorney General Sessions did not directly participate in the appointment of Bob Mueller as special yeah, this counsel. Stuff gets, this is confusing and really in the weeds here, but it's important. Yeah, let's unpack this a little bit, right? Yeah, because he's, exactly. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. This is all about conflict of interest. Yeah, it is. So if Sessions has a conflict, if Attorney General Sessions has a conflict, yeah. how can a special prosecutor be appointed to investigate? And the problem, Sessions, there's a lot of problems with him. He's part of the transition team. He met with Russians prior to Trump being president and then didn't tell Congress about it. So he's got all kinds of conflicts of interest and he kind of acknowledged that when he recused himself from any Russian investigations. All right, cool. So that means the deputy attorney general now steps up to the plate when it comes to Russian investigation-related matters. That's right, yeah. Rosenstein, Rosenstein yeah. steps up to the plate as attorney general on all matters related to the Russia investigation. So as Kip mentioned, yeah. Janet Reno, attorney general under President Clinton, promulgated regulations governing how a special counsel is appointed. And those regulations say the attorney general, or if the attorney general is recused from the matter, the deputy attorney general, acting, or the whoever, acting whoever's attorney general, acting. whoever's yep. acting, yeah, uh, appoints the special prosecutor. Right. And so Rosenstein did exactly that. Sessions was recused. He made the judgment call that they needed a special prosecutor. 
and he appointed one. And it was a pretty brilliant move. He did it without running it by Trump because he knew he could. Yeah. He was now acting, and I don't think Sessions saw it coming. I thought it was a brilliant chess move. And once it happened, Session was like, oh, man, damn it. Just did not anticipate this one happening. And so let's say Bob Mueller steps out of line and Jeff Sessions is not happy with Bob Mueller, even though he's recused. Can he terminate Bob Mueller? Can he say, OK, you're done being special counsel? What limitations can he put on Bob Mueller? Again, there's not a lot yeah. on this. In the law, it's mostly tradition and custom. And there's not a lot of history because, as Kit mentioned, there's not a lot of special prosecutors appointed in history. So let's say, let's say hypothetically, Bob Mueller uncovers evidence that suggests that the president committed a crime. Yeah. Can he have a grand jury indict President Trump as a sitting <laughs> president? I mean, also very confusing. Yes. Why, why is, I mean. Okay. So we don't know because we don't have any history to it. Can a sitting president be indicted? Yeah. Meaning, a, can a sitting president be charged with a crime? A, a court's never addressed this question centrally, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So. The Office of Legal Counsel did. And, and the Office of Legal Counsel is in the Department of Justice, right? Yes, and under the executive branch, right. There's basically like an office in the executive branch that tries to figure out how a court should rule on a given decision. Okay, And they're supposed to be objective. And they said that the Constitution implicitly grants a sitting president immunity from criminal prosecution. So can Robert Mueller prosecute Donald Trump directly? Maybe not. And by the way, let's talk a little bit about indictment versus impeachment, right? Okay, so Clinton was impeached by the House of Representatives. That can happen to Donald Trump. The Constitution allows for impeachment from the House of Representatives followed by conviction from the Senate. We're talking about whether a single prosecutor can indict and convict a president. And it appears maybe not. This is actually what's disappointing about this whole, well, depending on which, which side you're on, for us, a little disappointing about Robert Mueller being appointed is that he may be in a catch-22. He has public pressure on him to figure out something, but he cannot disclose his investigations. They're not public. They have to be kept secret. And he can only really disclose any information he finds if he indicts and convicts, but we don't think he actually possesses the power to indict the president right the president but, but maybe there's people yes. around the president that he could good indict point. right yeah, in, in which case point. the information may come out then he can yeah that's a good point that's I, the way out this is maybe another drawback of special counsels generally since we're on the topic but yeah. bob Mueller's role is to find evidence of criminal wrongdoing somebody committed a crime let's prosecute him or her for it yeah that's not necessarily aligned with the general goal of explaining to the public what happened, yeah. how did Russia interfere with the U.S. election in 2016. That's really the thrust of the congressional investigation, mm -hmm. whereas Bob Mueller's investigation is about criminal wrongdoing. They're not necessarily one and the same. Mm -hmm. The Russians could have interfered with the U.S. elections in a way that doesn't necessarily lead to the indictment of a U.S. person, right? Right. But the public still should know how Russia exactly. impacted the election. Yeah. Some people are not all that pleased with the appointment of special prosecutor because it may impede the public congressional investigation. Yeah, we're, yeah. And the public may never know, particularly if there are no indictments. Right, exactly. And there may be witnesses that special prosecutor says, we cannot have this person speaking publicly about what happened because we need this to be part of the investigation, mm -hmm. which means it needs to be kept under wraps. 
and Bob Mueller may grant immunity to somebody, yep. or Congress may want to grant immunity to somebody in exchange for testimony. And there's going to be sort of a jockeying for territory in these two competing investigations. And the end result may be that the public never knows the full extent of Russian meddling in the election. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kip's going to do his usual emotional moment he wants to do. Cry with me for a second here. <laughs> Appointing a special prosecutor in this case is what appears to be both a gift and a curse, and we can't anticipate whether it's a good or bad thing. And that's why actually the news is so confusing these days around the special prosecutor is there's a dearth of law behind what's going on right now, and also... Nobody really knows how this will shake out because we've never had a situation like this. And there's so many questions that are more or less unanswered in American history. So it's going to be a very interesting few months, but it's hard to know whether Bob Mueller's appointment is a good or a bad thing or whether it will lead to more or less information for the public. All right, well, thank you guys for listening, and please check out our website at theresurgentleft.org and get involved today. And also, please follow us on Twitter because our Twitter game is super weak right now, and it's at resurgent underscore left. Special thank you to our producer, Vika Aronson. I'm Kip Muller. And I'm Harry Connor. And remember to stay angry and stay inspired. <laughs>